Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, from a passive investor's point of view, you don't care, right? But, you know, this is one of the reasons why I went into big multifamily because a lot of the debt that we're getting as a bigger player is same Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac agency financing, but way sweeter terms. I mean, we're yeah. getting almost 15-year loan terms on 30-year amortization, five years, closing on a deal, like five years interest only, under 3%. And the big thing is it's not a recourse debt. <laughs> so here's the big question. Have you ever been so financially frustrated from years of poor financial decisions only to wonder, why didn't they teach me in school anything about how to manage money? I've spent the last 20 years learning the secrets to how money really works and how to use it to get financially free on a goal to retire early. I've realized how much of an impact we could have on the world by teaching financial literacy, entrepreneurship, and a successful mindset. Join me as I interview some of the world's most successful business owners, coaches, and parents to get them to share their secrets on how you can not only learn but teach these lessons to your kids to become financially free and impact your children's financial trajectory so they can avoid the frustration and go on to do great things. I'm Cody Laughlin, and this is the Money Talkers Podcast. Welcome back to Money Talkers with your host, Cody Laughlin. I have a special guest here today. His name is Lane Kawaoka, right? I want to make sure I get that right because he is the owner and starter of simplepassivecashflow.com where he owns over 3,000 units in the U.S. And he lives in Hawaii, uh, quit his day job as a professional engineer um, in civil engineering and construction management and uh, and, and basically has taking his voice to the world to try and show them how to be uh, investors. And so we're going to dig into this and see how he got to where he's at as a young guy with 3000 plus units. Uh, there's definitely some stories in there. So welcome to the store. Welcome to the show, Lane. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, listen, I'm really uh, excited to talk to you. And I want to dig deep into how you amass so many different things. But um, kind of walk me through we talked a little bit offline that you started, uh, you lived in Hawaii and then moved over to Seattle. Is that where you went to be an engineer? Yeah, I mean, I I kind of got brought up in a family where we were taught to go to school, study hard, get a good job. So, I mean, the schools in Hawaii aren't the greatest, nor is there much career opportunities out here. So I got shipped off to the mainland to go to University of Washington, get an engineering degree. And then that was, like I said, um, stuck there for 12 years where, you know, in the code. And I guess that's where you're from, right? So, you know, that's <laughs> all about. <laughs> yeah, I don't do cold, so... <laughs> I could definitely see that being a, uh, a, a, a quite a shift, uh, just in the weather alone. Um, and so you went to, so when you went to Seattle, um, you became an engineer, right? And so, um, what, what got you started to start looking for something different? Yeah. So still up to that, that time, you know, just all the financial dogma says go buy a house to live in, which I don't necessarily agree, especially if you live in a private market, like, Seattle, Hawaii, California, New York, Boston, something like that. But uh, we can talk about more of that later. But, you know, like I, I bought that house to live in. And because I was like the new guy with work, you have to travel a lot, right? So it was only home on Saturday. So I was like, shoot, this is stupid. Let me just start renting this out and um, make some money. So my mortgage was 1600 The rents every month were 2200 To a young 20-something-year-old kid, that was a lot of beer money. And I was like, shoot, I... I just do this again and again and again. Um, 
I'll be out of the rat race very soon. <laughs> so are you a, uh, a Kiyosaka fan? Um, I, I, I actually didn't read that book till later, but really? I mean, you know, I'm not, I mean, I think the ideals in the book are good. It changes yeah. a lot of lives, but like, dude, there's no like tangible advice in there. Right. It's like yeah. sort of, it's kind of like the Bible. Like, it tells you <laughs> some stuff. It's like, really, what's, what do you do? You know, you like, apply, right. Yeah. Well, it sounds yeah. like you kind of figured that part out on your own though. Um, so even then pulling down, so what, so you went from one property to 3000 overnight or how did you get there? <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think what I normally do is like, I kind of focus on just getting the first one, right? Like yeah. just picking up a property, um, you know, in the beginning I bought in Seattle, which I don't think is a great market to invest in. I, I'm more of a cash flow buy and hold investor. So I go after properties that meet the 1% rent to value ratio. Mm-hmm. So, you know, where you know, it's going to cash flow positively. Where, so month. explain that because I know what it is, but uh, can you explain that? So someone listening would understand what that principle, because that's really a principle to strong uh investment property a lot of times at least it's the first step right yeah yeah and most most investors don't follow this right they just kind of think well if my mortgage payment is less than my rents and cash flowing you know which is not really true what you want to be doing is cash flowing after all expenses capex uh, vacancy repairs everything so the, one of the the quick and dirty way of doing it which somebody can do like right now without knowing too much is, you know, you, you go on Zillow and you pull up the, the rents or you do some, you know, little comp analysis using basic marketplace and you figure out what the monthly rent is on a property divided by the purchase price. So we don't buy anything that's less than 1%. So a hundred thousand dollar house that's rents for a thousand dollars. So a thousand divided by a hundred grand is 1%. So a lot of places in primary markets, like I said, like Seattle, all of California for that matter. Um, you know, you're like buying a $400,000 house. If you can find that, that rents for two grand. That's half a percent. It's no bueno. It's going to work. Yeah. And, yeah. And that's, um, I, I mean, it kind of shocks me because I'm in, I'm in a market here in Florida that we have vastly different areas in Florida where, you know, you've got South Florida that kind of does the California thing and people are just looking, they're, they're basically buying to hold for appreciation if they can get it you know, which I think is a dangerous game. Um, Cause you're kind of going to be at the mercy of what happens with rates. If that's your only strategy. Right. Right. I mean, that's, that's a primary market like the Orlando, Orlando and definitely Miami. It's more of yeah. a primary market, but like where you're at, like Jacksonville, uh, you know, places like that is more of like the kind of markets we target, which we call secondary or tertiary markets. Um, there's also tertiary markets for sure. These little hold on towns. You don't want to really invest there unless you put some ground there. Yeah. But um, yeah, you know, major, let the less sexy markets, right? Like Birmingham, Atlanta, Indianapolis, Kansas City, Memphis, Little Rock, places like that. That's what we kind of target. Yeah, I'm actually in Ocala, and uh, it's a it's it was a great market here. Um, on those on on the, working on that uh, setup as far as on the one percent, it's been a really good spot for rentals here. We've got a lot of growth, but it's um. I, I like that um, the explanation for that on the 1% because it makes it uh, kind of a good starting point if someone's looking to buy into an investment property. It's very easy to say, okay, well, $200,000 house, can I get $2,000 a month in rent? Like that makes yeah. it, you know, very quick calculations to start with anyway. And so how do you, how are you finding your um, your targets? I mean, it's it's been like here, houses are flying off the market since uh COVID's happened which is kind of crazy but um you know there's a thousand people a day moving to Florida 
And so, um, how are you able to find so many different places? Well, I mean, today, you know, I buy apartment buildings, you know, 100 to 300 units, and it's a little bit different. That's kind of why I do it. I, you know, swim upstream so I don't have to deal with mom and pop investors. You know, we go to assets, two, three, four million dollars or more, so we can get away from the mom and pop investors that are unsophisticated. They pay stupid prices, and we stay below institutional players buying the 500, 600,000 unit apartment complex. So there's a little sweet spot for us, but. Um, you know, a lot of it's through broker relationships. And if you haven't closed deals before, you don't get access to them. So this is why I like it. I like to play in a field where I have an unfair advantage. Yeah. But, um, that helps no one listening right now. Unless you're <laughs> buying a hundred unit apartments, but yeah, with single family homes, you know, like how, how I started was just like buying like little turnkey rentals, right? There's operators out there that fix these properties up for you. Um, it's turnkey, right? That's where the name comes from. So they'll fix up like the HVAC, the roof, the flooring, the painted plumbing, electrical. And they, some of them may even put a tenant in there and some may even do a property management for you. Um, I always tell my guys, go find your own property, third-party property manager just so there's no conflict of interest there. But um, that's the way you get started, right? And then you, you start to develop relationships and you start to pick up better and better properties. So, um, you know, you went from, like you said, doing some single family turnkey stuff, and then now you're at that 100 unit plus level apartment complex type style. Where, when did you make the shift and why? Yeah, so I, um, it pretty much comes down to your net worth and your income level when you make the jump, as I say, to the NBA, right? Going from college, uh, skipping over college. I consider college kind of like, you know, picking up single family homes. And I got up to 11 of them in 2015. It took me seven years to do it. And one of my claim to fame is I was able to save a lot of money um, personally. Like I'm, I'm a cheapo, right? Like I don't order soft drinks at the restaurant. I, I, I didn't grow up doing that. I was told not to do that. Uh, so I was saving like 50 grand out of my paycheck every year, just putting to investments. So that's a lot of like my clients that I, I work with today, like high paid doctors, lawyers, engineers, people good with their money, right? I mean, I, the brand of investing I teach is buy and hold passive investing. I don't do wholesaling and flipping, burr. And that's a little bit, that's more for like the lower net worth guys, in my opinion. And I kind of found this epiphany back in 2015 when I got up to 11 rentals and I started to join different masterminds and getting around other accredited investors that are a lot, a lot further on the path than me and where I found a lot of these secrets of the wealthy and just in the investing avenue, a lot of these guys were going into private placements and syndications at maybe $50,000, increments, but diversifying over dozens and dozens of deals and different asset classes, geographic areas, partners, and different business plans. And that was where I got it, right? Like as a passive investor at LP, you don't have any loans in their name. You don't do anything. You don't do jack, right? But you get the deal flow of the big guys and the big guys run the deal for you. Right? And the, the tax benefits are so much stronger. Like, you know, when you, when you have a rental property, as you know, you can deduct 127th of the value of the house every year, which is cool. But on the large apartment deals, you can do a cost segregation and typically you can write off a third of the building in the first year. Really? And this is where a game with the wealthy play. I mean, I just got my taxes yesterday. My AGI was 25 grand. I paid zero taxes legally. 
That's awesome. I don't know how all that happened. The CPA did it all, but <laughs> <laughs> so um, do you, so is that where you got started to do the ramp up as you started putting your funds into a syndication or did you start going out to try and did collect other people's money? Like what, what, what was the breakthrough? Yeah. So I started to do it as a passive, right? First, yeah. like before, I'm not going to go take other people's money <laughs> first go around. It's irresponsible. So I started to do that in the beginning and then I started to operate deals um, as a general partner. And that was kind of where things kind of took off. And now I have my Guido Pipeline Club where kind of people join me and you know, it's, we're, we're more of a relationship driven um, group, little small yeah. investment community. That's cool. And that's so, um, and then once you get into a certain number, right, it, the, the financing becomes quite a bit different as well, right? Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, from a passive investor's point of view, you don't care, right? But, you know, this is one of the reasons why I went into big multifamily because a lot of the debt that we're getting as a bigger player is same Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac agency financing, but way sweeter terms. I mean, we're yeah. getting almost 15 year loan terms on 30 year amortization, five years, closing on a deal, like five years interest only under 3%. And the big thing is it's not a recourse debt. <laughs> yeah. Well, That's explain what that is thing. so that someone listening knows what that means. Yeah. So like, you know, your normal home mortgage that you guys, y'all get are, is recourse debt. So if your, your house goes underwater, like a lot of it did in 2008 and you walk away, well, the bank's still coming back to you for the difference, right? That's recourse debt. Non-recourse debt is the opposite where if it goes underwater or if the investment gets mismanaged, we just walk away. And so, um, in, in that kind of scenario, um, where you're looking at these larger apartments, you're basically getting them at pocket listings, right? And so uh, now they're coming to you. You're probably they're probably coming to you more than you have to go get them. Is that my yeah, I mean it's it, it's just hard to get there, right? Yeah. This is one of those things where it's unfair. I mean, just getting a Fannie Mae Freddie Mac loan for a hundred unit plus building, you can't do it unless you have somebody in your partnership who has signed on the debt before which is a total chicken and egg thing. Like, mm. how do you do it? Well, you can't, <laughs> unless really? you have a partner doing it. <laughs> I did not know that. That's pretty crazy. It's a, it's a completely unfair game. This is why I love it, right? <laughs> this is why I don't like Bitcoin, all this stuff any other kid can do. It's just too competitive. <laughs> yeah. on a fight in and competitive You have no arena. control, you know? When you're talking about like Bitcoin and stuff, like you have, you have no control of it. Yeah, well, I mean, up, like, you know, don't get me started. I know you and I could probably just talk about forever about that type of stuff, but just picking out that one aspect, right? Like I want to do things that people cannot compete with me. Mm. Right. And so when you, when you know, you guys are managing, you've got 3000 plus units. Are you, um, how, how much in the day to day in the weeds are you or how passive is it? I mean, it's, I have operational partners that are also on the ground that we, we kind of share um, demands, but we hire third-party property managers. Sometimes we do it in-house, but, you know, this is where we have the funds and, you know, there's a lot of meat on the bone in these deals to pay professionals to help us to do this. Um, and this is the difference with the mom and pa investor. Like, this is a, a typical mistake. You, they buy a house in Seattle or California where the numbers don't make sense to begin with. So they can't even hire a property manager. You know, property managers typically pay 10% out 
I tell all my guys, you guys got to focus on being an investor, not a landlord. You definitely want to be hiring a third-party property manager to do your dirty work for you. That's, yeah, those 2 a.m. phone calls are no fun. <laughs> yeah, and, and liability. And it's like your, your highest and best use, at least for a lot of my guys, is going to your day job and making, I don't know, 100, 200 bucks billable hours you know, per hour. Um, and it's not like fielding little calls or hearing all these excuses from these guys um, better to just have a professional and so you know that's that's what we do on the big scale um, yeah. but we're lucky enough where now we have more regional managers looking over the, the office staff you know? so there's just a little bit a little bit more layers of management in there so you've shifted to uh training right as well so i you... i have yeah yeah i have like kind of two sides of my business where one side is my operations um four thousand units now uh, and then i have my more education side and my family office consulting side which i enjoy more it's not as stressful yeah <laughs> than running deals and i think it can make a bigger change too because part of it is like my biggest thing is like attracting passive accredited investors and creating this community uh, which is behind the paywall, but it's what people want, right? Like if you're a high net worth investor, going to the local RIA or a free internet form is some of the worst place to go because everybody who's looking to get rich, who's broke, is trying to do the same thing. So where do you find if you're, you know, making 300 grand a year, you're new at real estate, but you want to find your, your peer group, you, you can't, I mean, it's just, it's just impossible. I mean, I tried to do it for a decade and I couldn't find it until I started to open up my wallet and pay to get into other groups. But I don't know if that's completely necessary to pay 30 grand a year to be in something like that. Yeah. And so when you, um, when you have these people come in and they're new to this, what do you start with them? Um, I mean, it's a lot of this, the basics, right? Like just, it's a lot of this, like, I think the problem is like, there's so, it's so much stuff out there, right? So much information. Um, first thing is like, okay, we get rid of all this like other nonsense, the more active stuff, active investing stuff, like wholesaling, flipping, tax liens, you hear about it a lot. We don't do any of that stuff, right? Nor do we do 1031 exchanges. We don't really deal with retirement accounts. We invest cash so we can get the tax benefits today. So we cannot pay taxes. We can get the tax benefits, the passive losses to offset our active W2 income and not pay taxes today, right? So for high net worth investors, it's very simple, right? That's why the URL is simplepassivecashflow.com. Like a lot of this stuff is very simple, but there's just so much noise out there. I mean, it, it's kind of like walking in the dark, but once you get like a guide, like, you know, I, I, I guess that's what I see myself as. I just kind of distill it down very simply and like, hey, here's the steps, right? You know, so, I, I mean, I could just lay it out, but a lot of it's is like, kind of all like reversing all these concepts that your parents taught you or what your cubicle, your cubicle mates have told you in the past. It's all wrong. It's all completely wrong. So that's, that's a lot of, a lot of the hard part. And a part of that is just kind of replacing, creating an online community with the right peer group, right? Of people who are like, yeah, why the heck would you ever want to do a retirement account, even Roth IRA? Like, why would you want to do that? Let's talk about this. Right. So that's kind of the first step. And so, um, I have down here. So what, what, what level do you think someone should be getting into this? Like what level should they start, uh, you know, looking at real estate as an actual avenue, like where they are at? Um, I guess financially, um, you know, you said you do right now with a lot of high net worth people, but you weren't at the time. Right. And so you kind of got in there and got your feet wet and 
found a different, better way to do it. And so when do you, uh, you know, what, what, what would your program, like what kind of person, what's your avatar for simple uh, passive cash flow? Yeah. I mean, most people in our group, I think the bare minimum is like, you're able to save 20 grand a year from your pay, your job and you're not in overwhelming consuming debt. If, if that's your case, like, I'm sorry, I can't help you. Right. There's Susie Orman, there's Dave Ramsey, all that stuff. Right. They can get you to crawl, but I can get you to drive in a Ferrari. Yeah. So, I mean, so I built this higher end group, but now, you know, I think your mission is sort of similar to mine's, right? Like I just saw so many hardworking professionals that went to schools for so long, yet the, 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 the whole system is engineered to keep people working for 30 to 50 years. And I think that's completely wrong. Um, so I now have like a little lower end group and like an incubator group to find that first rental property. And the prerequisite for that is, you know, you gotta have 20, 30 grand uh, money to go buy uses a 20% down payment, right? Cause we just use conventional financing, no tricks, no games, no money down here, stuff here. Right? 20% down payment on a government backed loan to buy a hundred thousand dollar house. And I, I, that, that's a big culture shock. I think for a lot of people either like you can buy a hundred thousand dollar house. I'm like, yeah. Most people in America live in pretty solid hundred grand houses. Right. So yeah. That's, Especially like that's the, mid, the, the Midwest right now is supposed to be, uh, I spoke with someone that does um, a real estate investments. They analyze markets constantly and they watch market data. And uh, you know, you mentioned like Kansas city or like some places in Alabama. Right. And so it's kind of things like, like, Oh, well, they've got great job growth. The housing prices didn't go crazy and there's people moving there. And it's, I think it's going to be even sped up even more right now with the, with the craziness that's going on in a lot of the downtowns and cities and the, all the stuff you see on Twitter and crazy stuff going on. So I think that, you know, those, those areas are just kind of nice and steady and even and very calculable. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we go where the job growth and population growth is. I mean, I don't know what, what drives that. I don't care. Right. Yeah. Population growth is what we invest off of. Um, and then we also stay away from blue States, right. Where people have this entitlement mentality, which is not the case on our, 4,000 units, right? Like a yeah. lot of our, our tenant base or we, we call it workforce housing, right? Non-luxury. And these, this is the bread and butter of America right here. And this is not the war zone type of properties. Or, you know, these are like kind of the, your hardworking Americans that are paying 700 bucks to a thousand dollars a rent for a one or two bedroom. Yeah. And you guys stay in that lane because there's just, it's all, it's very much more predictable. I mean, there, there's a sweet spot in everything, right? So if you yeah. go to the high end, it's it, you're just not going to get the returns that you're looking for. You're not going to get the rent to value ratios. And those tenants can be a kind of a pain and it's hard to fill a two or $3,000 rent uh, house, right? Yeah. And then we go, we don't go to the low end. The low end, like on paper, the numbers look phenomenal, right? Like, I mean, you can probably buy a house for 50 grand all day long that rents for seven or 800, right? Well, well above that two, 1% rent to value ratio, maybe getting close to the 2%. But that tenant class is just difficult. Um, collecting the rent, <laughs> like people just don't pay, right? Um, we don't want to deal with that, right? I mean, yeah. people do it in, in, my, in my industry, but personally, I just stick to solid B class type of areas. And so um, I had one of your topics that we were kind of discussing was that how is, it, how is there a way to recession proof uh, your investments? Yeah, I mean, I think the best 
investment thesis is invest what, where there's a demand and what doesn't performs well, even then through a pandemic. I mean, so demand, like there is a demand for workforce housing, right? The, the middle tier, the United States population is growing, is increasing. And you as an investor need to not only look at the country, but you know, which state, which city, and more importantly, what submarket, right? Because every like Jacksonville has dozens of submarkets in that, right? But that gets to be a little bit more advanced at some point. But you know, you, that's that's what you need to do as an investor. Like, look where the pockets of areas where things are up and coming. But generally, you know, macroeconomics need more housing, right? They're not real estate; they're not creating any more of it. Um, and that's where you need to buy properties that cash flow. And so when you're, when you're looking at that, what are you said, you said you're looking at population growth, right? Is there other factors that you're looking at to, to kind of determine from those things? Or are you getting like actual, uh, reports over from you guys? Are you doing the reporting? What, how do you, how does that work for you? Um, so we, we offer our investors like a monthly report where we put together the profit and loss statements and a little narrative of what's been going on. So we really dumb it down for passive investors. A lot of times they don't really care because they're in dozens and dozens of deals and it's just a lot of stuff. <laughs> but um, and we're, we're asking more to like what- Just what like your criteria, for, more, more, like, more like your reporting as far as like, what do you pull for criteria other than population growth? I'm just curious. Oh, okay, okay, on the acquisition yeah. side. So yeah, I mean, we're trying to look for properties that are stabilized. Um, which is the definition 90% occupied or more. Part of the reason is, you know, we don't want to, we don't want a property with a problem. We want a good, stable community. And we also, 90% occupancy for a lot of places is where we can get that non-recourse debt, that Fannie Mae golden ticket right there. So uh, the second criteria is we are in the game of sort of fixing and flipping, but on times 100, we, we want to be able to bump the rent. So our business plan is typically to come in and do maybe three to $5,000 of rehab per unit. So new flooring, new appliances, but we don't really get into the big stuff like cabinets, countertops. We're putting lipstick on a pig and we can turn and burn these things quickly. And all our goal is to bump the rents up 50, maybe hundred bucks on something that's already 50 bucks undervalued as it is. So we're coming in, we're changing the management, we're bumping it to market rents and coming in doing the force appreciation. And this is how we're able to you know, increase the value than the operating income of the property in a relatively short amount of time while cash flowing. And is, so, uh, is Fannie helping with the, with the rehab stuff or does that come from out of pocket? Yeah, that, that all comes from, you know, it can be put into the loan also. But you know, we, when we go into a deal, we we raise the down payment, we raise the capex money, we also raise working capital and cash reserves. So we, we are essentially going off in space with all the food and supplies that we need to complete the business plan. And then you're bringing a pool in that's investing into it with you. So they, that's where you're saying you're raising your capex, raising your rent, you're raising your down payment, those kind of things. So um, you're putting a pool of investors together then for that portion of it. Right, right. And they are all equity investors that get their fair share of the depreciation too. So it's kind of like a house flip. Yeah. But most times house flippers, like they'll get a debt investor where I don't know why anybody likes to do a debt investing. I mean, it's a large sum of money for one person. You don't get any passive losses. It's all ordinary income. 
and the returns suck. <laughs> and so I when mean, you're looking at these properties and things like, are you, are you seeing a compression of the cap rates? Um, you know, I've, I've just noticed I have a, I have a apartment complex in Jacksonville actually. And I just go on a loop net once in a while and I look on there and I'm like, Whoa, it just seems like the cap rates have just come down. You know, I'm seeing sixes and stuff in there and I'm like, wow. This yeah. Generally, like generally I would say like through the pandemic, the cap rates have kind of came down maybe actually it's kind of confusing. It's actually goes up, which is indicative of a worse market. Yeah. Right? So it's counterintuitive. So cap rates compress, but it's like the reversion cap rate that you would want to use goes up, but it has moved about a quarter point. But that when we usually underwrite our deals, we usually assume that the market is going to be worse by a full point. So we're still within our, our kind of control levels. Yeah. So that's kind of your get out of jail free card, right? Like yeah. Say, a lot oh, of even if it goes down. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of our institutions like they'll underwrite the deal so that they're selling it at a very similar market. So like if they're buying a deal at a five cap for that asset class, that market, the reversion cap rate or the exit cap rate will be the same, or maybe they even be lower, which is, I think is irresponsible underwriting, but normally we'll expand it just to assume that we're selling it in a worse market, just to yeah. be conservative. Because I mean, I mean, on the promise over deliver is the thought. Of, yeah, I think that there's a mistake there for a lot of uh, first-time real estate investors and those kind of things is that they don't they they want to they they want to make the deal look good to themselves before they do it right. I'm in the I'm in the opposite camp. Like I'm in like, well, if I think I can get nine hundred dollars a month for rent, I'm going to try to underwrite it at seven fifty and see if I got this covered right because then I got I have a I have my room and if and I think a lot of people don't realize it, it's okay to walk away from a deal as well, you know. I think they, it's like they're trying to hit a home run all the time instead of just saying, oh, well, you know what? Doubles are great. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. But I think, you know, like this discussion, I think more about reversion cap rates, et cetera. Like, I think it's probably goes over the head of most investors. Like the big thing here, and this is like my, my thing, it's like simple passive cash flow. Let's keep it simple, right? Mm -hmm. Before we scare people off, before they go back to that dreaded stock market because they're confused. Just go out there, find a property that underwrites to cash flow. I mean, people can, they can go to my website, download my free analyzer. I think it's at simplepassivecashflow.com slash analyzer. You can dig a little bit layer deeper than the 1% rent to value ratio. And you can like, you can, there's a spreadsheet that you just, you get your rents and then you can kind of break down your repairs, maintenance, CapEx. Um, I have footnotes on like what guidelines you should probably be in within. And then, yeah, you, you just go down that step, taxes, and you see, yeah, how much money do I have at the end of the month? And this is how you recession-proof your asset, right? When something bad happens, like a pandemic, you can drop your rents by a hundred bucks and still be able to cash flow. Yeah, you're good, right? You don't need a cash reserve to kind of fortify things and keep you going. Like the asset should, should be on its, should stand on its own. And that's, that's why we invest in first properties at cash flow. That's why we don't invest in properties on the coast, California, New York. First criteria is cash flow first. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great way to a uh, place to start, you know, is, is looking at what's going to happen uh, monthly, uh, what your bill is going to come out. And if you're good and covered there, as long as you're very conservative about it, it's probably a great way to start. Um, you know, you said it's kind of, 
don't get too far into the weeds, scaring people with, with, uh, industry jargon, right. And that kind of stuff. And so, um, yeah, that's a, I think that's really great advice. Um, and so I mean, that's, all, you, that's all I started, right? Like I bought yeah. one and then I saved up <laughs> another 50, 60 grand. I bought two and then just kind of steamrolls from there. That's, and that's how you get financial freedom. Are you, what are you seeing in the market today with that many units, um, uh, with, with this being in a pandemic, are you seeing rents paid on time? Are you seeing them paid at all? Are you having, you know, what, what have you guys seen as far as what's coming in the next six to 12 months? Yeah. So, um, through, through the pandemic, April and May were the worst months. So normally we are, um, I'm going to speak in terms of collections, which is defined as like, you know, like, yeah people owe you rent, but collections is how much you actually pay. Yeah, so normally, yeah. well, that's like, the, thing, the whole thing about like, oh, well, we'll just, uh, we'll give rent free and then we'll, we'll, you'll get it back later in six months. I'm like, nobody renting a thousand dollar place that has $6,000 waiting for you in six months from now. Like, it's not coming. Yeah. You know? So, so <laughs> we like, normally we're hovering around 97% and that's sort of the industry standard. You're out of a hundred people, you're always going to have a few deadbeats. You're going to have to chase around for collections. Um, especially in our, you know, more B class type of um, properties. But yeah, in April, that maybe dropped down to 95%. And then at worst, the very worst, some of the properties went down to like the low 90s. And, but you got to remember like the way we, when we buy these properties, we buy it for cash flow and we don't lose money in until we start hitting the 60% range. Wow. So this, this uh, pandemic probably could have gone on for another few years. So we actually hit that level on I'm thinking. And this is why I'm like, yo, man, I'm super confident now because this stuff worked, right? This is <laughs> pandemic proof, right? At the you end got, of the day, you got your thesis people, tested. <laughs> yeah, people need to live in $700 to $1,000 apartments, right? <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, government bailouts are going to help these people, amongst other uh, a gazillion other things. But people need a place to live. <laughs> the, the the country cannot survive without the heart of America not being able to pay rent. No, and this is I, what recession proof portfolios are all about. Um, and I think that's why you're seeing a lot of the big institutions come into multifamily, work, especially workforce multifamily. Yeah. So you see more when, and more players come into the space. I mean, on the big, look what the big money's doing, right? Like the Blackstones, all those guys, but, and then going to your next question about like what's coming down the track. I mean, you know, you hear about like, oh, there's an avalanche of all these foreclosed houses. Um, me and the commercial world, we don't really are impacted by that too much. That's um, more of like a single family home residential thing. Our valuations of properties are based on net operating income, which is, you know, you do a lot of business stuff. It's, it's not based on like emotions and comps, like residential houses. Like what did the house next door sell for? has nothing to do with that. It's more numbers based, which is why I like it. Well, especially um, on your side too, if there were a wave of foreclosures, those people need somewhere to live and they're probably going to go somewhere cheaper than they were paying, you know, $2,000 mortgage to a you know $1,000 rent. You know, yeah, they've got yeah, to have a place to live. <laughs> or some yuppie living in like a $1,500 place, you know, they're going to go to more of the value apartments like ours, right? So we're, we're ready for them. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but yeah, I mean, I, I think that there is going to be some foreclosures coming if you're still in the single family home world. And there's probably going to be a little bit of distress in the apartments with people currently in forbearance whose um, investment wasn't working out in the first place due to operator error. But 
me personally, I don't buy those type of properties. You know, my my strike zone is just strictly stabilized assets. So if they're having problems, they're probably dipping into the 80, 70% range. Um, they're probably still cash. Well, I don't know how they ran their numbers originally, but you know, that's the nice thing about workforce housing is it's things got to go seriously wrong. You got to dip into like your 50, 60% occupancy to be able to kind of lose money on your P&Ls every month. But me personally, I don't really swing at those type of um, deals that come through the pipeline like that. Um, but I think a lot of, there's more, more like more gutsier operators than myself that would love to kind of pick up the inventory, but just me, I just don't swing at that stuff. Yeah. Doesn't keep you up at night, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> why take the chance, right? I mean, if I was worth, you know, 10, $20 million, I wouldn't be doing any of this stuff. I'd just be sleeping right now. <laughs> you think that, but it doesn't work that way, you know? We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> and that's the, is that, that's the, that's the end game, right? Let's get there. That is, that is. <laughs> well, it sounds like you're on a, uh, on a wonderful path on, on, on the way there now. And so I wish you all the luck to get way past that. And, uh, but I also, I want to say thank you for coming on with money talkers with me. Um, we're going to hop on and do the, uh, high impact series, but, um, is there anything that you want to leave on this, uh, on the podcast? Yeah, I mean, we talked a lot about apartment uh, investing and more for accredited investors, high net worth guys. But like, if you're, I would just say like, hey, this stuff is super simple. Like just buy a property that cash flows, 1% rent to value ratio. Um, definitely a little bit more research involved with that. But like, I mean, trust me, this stuff works. I mean, I was able to quit my day job, replace my income. And a lot of people in my community do the same thing. It's, it's not a get rich quick thing. But if you just buy a property every year, I mean, and then soon you're able to buy two properties every year because it cash flows and makes you even more money. Like, I mean, I see a lot of people who are able to um, probably save 30 grand a year after their expenses. They can probably be financially free in like less than a decade for sure. Doing this stuff. Yeah, I think one of the secrets to the whole thing though too is it, uh, it should be somewhat boring, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. those super sexy, amazing deals there's hair on them somewhere. I can, I can just about guarantee you they don't, they don't happen a lot, but there's a lot of boring, make sense, run some numbers deals out there that will make you wealthy. Yeah. I don't do any like Bitcoin, no tech startups. No, like I stayed away from hotel investments, short-term rentals. And now I'm like, yeah, you suckers. <laughs> you guys should have listened. This, this stuff is boring, right? Who wants to rent to like, boring workforce housing people for 800 bucks yeah it's boring but boring is good for investments exactly and i think that's uh i think that's good sound advice and so uh if people want to come check you out uh hit you up on simple passive uh cashflow.com right and uh, yeah yeah check out the podcast yeah and then i think the first dozen are more about like buying single family homes but it's just, it's, the tune has kind of changed as i've been kind of evolving awesome Awesome, man. Well, thank you, Lane. I appreciate you coming on Money Talkers with me. Thank you for listening to another episode of Money Talkers with me, your host, Cody Laughlin. If you found this episode helpful in your pursuit of financial dominance, it really helps if you make sure to leave a five-star rating and share it with your friends or family members who could use good financial information and entrepreneurial success tips. I invite you to join the Money Talkers community Facebook group. Open Facebook and search for Money Talkers to join today. 
Follow us on Instagram at The Money Talkers for inspirational mindset posts, encouragement, and investing tips. And remember, the one thing you can do to change your kid's financial future is to start talking about money with them because you are a money talker.